Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to this week's episode of In-Depth with Beth and Seth, a podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I am your minister for spiritual formation and theater. And it is my joy to be here with Beth Hoffman Faith. And today is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Beth. Oh, thank you, Seth. And right back at you. I love Valentine's Day. It's a celebration of all relationships, I believe. Hello, everyone. My name is Beth Hoffman Faith, as Seth has already mentioned, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship. And I'm glad to be with you today, Seth, to talk about Duane's sermon from yesterday. Yes, Duane, our colleague Duane Davis preached a sermon yesterday called Re-Choosing, and this is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. And Beth, may I just read those real fast to get us into this? Please do. Deuteronomy says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. And this is part of our Command to Preach series. And Dana Chabot sent this in. It was a wonderful offering. And I'm excited to talk about this with you, Beth. Right. It's a, you know, it's interesting. I I was saying before. Uh, we started recording that in the longer chapter of chapter 30, I'm not sure I would have chosen these three verses to pull out um, without maybe including some more. But when you just read it again out loud, and I, I can see why it does stand on its own, even if you aren't aware of the nuances of what comes before or after it. I'm grateful to Dana for, for choosing something I'm not sure any of us would necessarily have selected to preach upon. So No, I'm sure I've read De- Deuteronomy in my life, and I don't remember this. It is a really, I'm glad it was, I was reintroduced to this. Thank you, Dana. And I'm glad that Dwayne got it and, got, and wrestled with it a bit. A little bit of just textual piece that I wonder if listeners know. We talk about the Bible in total as being a collection of collections, that there was no singular mind that created what we now know as the Bible, that is a compilation over centuries of different stories and different voices and different, that created the two Testaments that we call the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament in the Christian Bible. But even within the Torah, which Deuteronomy is the last book of the Torah, even that was made up of multiple sources. And so sometimes um, when, if you're reading the Torah and something seems to not necessarily be connected or in a slightly different voice than what came before or after it, it's because there were multiple strains. Deuteronomistic, I'm saying that wrong. Wow. The priestly, the Yahwistic, and the, the E. <laughs> the E one, yes. El- El- Eluhenu or something like that. This is why I'm not a biblical scholar. And that's why the Genesis has two creation stories. And that's why you'll um, see these things. But I, I always find that interesting that even the Torah, which is this old held seemingly singular thing, even it is made up of multiple voices. Well, in addition to that, Seth, and I appreciate that perspective, what I am 
constantly reminded of in these sacred texts is how timeless they are. Parts this of them. Me- this is a mes- message I needed to hear personally, both the scripture message and also what Dwayne had to say about it. But it is, it's this reminder that as community, we're constantly sort of fumbling around trying to figure out how to be God's people. And this message to the Israelites were, yes, you know, kind of, we know that there's a big fracture here. We know that you have turned away from God. We know that you have uh, not lived into God's way over and over time and time again. And as Dwayne points out in his sermon, and as we can imagine, the Israelites are probably thinking, well, how will we ever be able to do this? Um, you know, they, they've been punished. There's been consequences for their actions, but it doesn't seem to change their ways. And Moses essentially is saying, you can do this. You can do this. And I, I guess for me in our current time and all that's happening in our communities and beyond about how people do not know how to, to love one another and be in community together, I needed to hear this too, that, that, we, that we can do, that there is hope. There is hope, even though the past is littered with regret and mistake and sin, that there, there is hope that we still, we still can be God's people. And must, I believe, is, is the inference that we must do it. Not only can we do it, that it's not something that comes from some sort of ethereal region or from some other place. It is in us. Not only can we do it, we must do it. We must do it. And it's not as hard as we make it out to be right. I think that's what Moses is. I mean, that's what the text is saying to us. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't need to go to the ends of the earth. You don't need to be a part of the heavens. You don't need to travel across the seas to do it. You can just do wherever you are. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And what are we to do? We are to love God with all our mind, body, and strength you know, and our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Focus in. Just like you were telling us last week, Seth. It seems as if I've, I really liked the sermon and I thought that this was a good, a, a wonderful approach. And I also needed to hear this, you can do it. And, and that it's, it's here. We, we have the tools that nothing is needs to be invented. Some things need to be let go maybe, but nothing needs to be invented for us to do what we are called to do for ourselves and for our neighbors. And it seems to me that this is a lot of what we are preaching these days in the last while, mm-hmm. all three of us, that we are saying, you can do it. You can, you can and we need you to. You can do it. We can build something different. We can, we can be beloved community. Inside these walls, we can make it different. We can make, it can be different here. Yeah. Right. We, we keep asking, we keep pushing on this. Why do you think we keep pushing on this? Is that a rhetorical question or are you asking me? No, specific? I want to know your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, my personal answer is because I think right now it's really easy to, to lean into despair and it's really easy to sort of, to, to give up. At least that's the way I've been feeling. Like mm. what difference does any of this make anyway? Because children are still dying in our streets Police are killing innocent people. Um, many people live in fear every day. Nobody has enough. Like, what could we ever do to make a difference? And so we need to keep reminding one another that what we need is, is right here, just like you said. I mean, Duane says in his sermon, the antidote to the despair and futility we feel and fear is faith. 
Like if we just continue to choose faith, which means we choose love and hope and joy and all these possibilities. I was reminded that years ago, over 10 years ago, I listened regularly to a radio program here in the in the cities. And the, the host uh, was this, you know, he was a seasoned disc jockey, but he also would happen to be an ordained Episcopal deacon. And occasionally he would. Such a normal combination. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why he fascinated me. And I think that's why I listened to him. But anyway, one day he just said something that has resonated with me ever since. And that is that every day he wakes up and chooses faith. He chooses God. He, he makes the conscious choice to be a person of faith. And I realized that I had sort of been taking faith for granted. Like it had been part of my life story for so long. I no longer had to choose it because it had already chosen me, but those words just have always settled in my heart. Like I, I do have to wake up every day and say, this is the life I choose one uh, in which I recognize myself as one of God's beloved. And how will that then shape what I do and say? Um, and that's, I thought about that as I listened to Dwayne preach yesterday and read his words again in preparation for our podcast. But that's what Dwayne's encouraging us to do, to choose and keep choosing and choose again over and over and over again. We choose to be a beloved child of God. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm glad you brought up that quote. We talked about it earlier and I was hoping it would somehow find its way into this conversation. He also asked some really difficult questions that go along with that, both about the church and I think specifically about our church mm. and the world. He says, we live in an age where the church's future as we know it is in question. And then he explains why. Many wonder if our faith can make a difference in light of the disillusionment of the human condition. When it seems that the lesser gods of money, possessions, and status do a better job of soothing our doubts and calming our fears than the gracious God who is present with us, we have to wonder if we can follow in the way of God. And then a little while later, he, he, he talks about the world. As we worship safely in the sanctuary and our homes, we are surrounded by death. Community violence, which robs our children of life, and state violence, in which police kill innocent citizens. Well-meaning people keep asking if the answer is unknowable or unreachable. Can we do something about it? Moses' message for, is for us. We can do something about it. We can choose to do justice. It is a gift for the taking. And what it came to me in hearing that is that just like you said, it's a choice we have to keep making. These things don't just happen. They don't just, even if they've happened, they don't keep happening. And what I mean by that is Plymouth as an institution will not just exist because it has always existed. Plymouth as an institution, as a place of worship, as a community of people needs to continue to have people choose it, mm -hmm. choose to invest in it, choose to give it life. It by itself is not a thing. It is just us. Same thing right. with our communities. Yeah. Well, I, my comment to that is when we choose, you know, choose to vest ourselves in Plymouth, is that an outward kind of example of us choosing to love God, love neighbor, love self? It's again, it kind of comes back to what we value, how we live in community. And how um, we practice it. And how we practice it. Because the community is, the, is a practice. 
It's a place to practice being a person in community so that we can go do it in the other parts of our world. Right. And I wonder if if people can make the connection. If we're choosing justice, as Duane invites us to in his message, do we realize that in choosing justice, what we're doing is we're choosing to love God, love neighbor, love self. It all comes back to those first Testament commandment, the commandment, right? Mm -hmm. Which as you shared with us last week is a universal commandment shared by many different religions. Practically everyone, at least in word. And so I like it when Duane was saying, just do it, just do it. Not to steal Nike's uh, slogan, (laughs) but really, can we just do this? But that's part of why it's a brilliant slogan and they've kept Nobody else keeps a slogan for 40 years. <laughs> Correct. And every time we say just do it, we think of it, right? Uh, we owe them a nickel. Well, and the other thing that I was, I've been wrestling with, and I think I wrestle with it in every sermon, Seth, because I always, you know, I always chastise and say, what about the how? How do we do it? I you want do the always chastise. I do. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> So even with this sermon, I want to jump to, okay, what does this look like? What does this look like? What does it look like? And instead, I've been telling myself this morning, we need to rest in the choice, right? Maybe we just need to live into this choice and then let what it looks like come from there. Going back to something you said earlier about hope or feeling despair, We have to choose hope. Hope doesn't just show up. I mean, sometimes we get glimmers of it. On a walk yesterday, Nora and I realized that somebody had made little red heart ice ornaments and hung them on the trees along the path. Mm. That was greatly hopeful for some reason. Just that burst of color and somebody did that and put it out there for us. But we often have to choose hope. And part of my concern is that we as a, a primarily privileged community when things don't go right for us, it's very easy for us to lose hope in a way that oftentimes marginalized communities just can't. Marginalized communities can't lose hope because they've never been able to, but things generally go okay for us. The world is ours. And and when it changes on us, it's far too easy for us to collectively say, well, I guess it's over. Mm. It reminds me, I, I put this into a sermon several years ago when I was working at the University of Chicago. We were talking, we were planning the Martin Luther King Day celebration, and I was in a small group and we were discussing his sermon at Riverside Church in New York, in which all of a sudden he started talking about national politics and talked about the Vietnam War. And he got so much. I mean, that was when public opinion really turned on MLK. And I didn't always speak much in that group. I was conscious of my voice. And at some point in this conversation, I did say, and so little has changed in these 50 years. It makes me feel hopeless. Mm. And then around the table, there was all sorts of nodding and people looking at me and agreeing, except for one person who was staring deep into my soul. And then they said, Mr. Seth, and this was a queer black person. They said, it is a privilege. It is an act of privilege to give up hope. Mm -hmm. What would happen to me if I gave up hope? If you give up hope, you still have everything. If I give up hope, I have nothing. It is an act of privilege to give up hope. Indeed. Indeed. In fact, my prayer candle or my peace candle prayer was all about choosing hope and mm-hmm. um, and making it a mindful practice to to look for hope. 
in that same way, but your illustration gives it even uh, more significant meaning. Um, sort of like, how dare we ever give up on hope? Um, but we can do it. Yeah, we can. Do That's it. what we're reminded of. Dwayne and Moses remind us that we can do it. Yes. It is not something found in heaven. It is not something found in another land across the sea. It is in your heart and in your mouth. It is here with you now. Choose hope. Choose justice. Is all Choose joy. It's all about choosing God and loving God with heart, mind, strength, and spirit. And we hope that you continue to choose Plymouth and continue <laughs> to invest in it as a hand of God in the world. We are the hands, the feet, and the voice of God in the world, more so together. Yes. And when we do it, when we choose, when we are all in, I can only imagine the extraordinary possibilities of transformation in our church community and beyond. They're extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It's almost too much to imagine, but not too much. Amen. Happy Valentine's Day, friends. We look forward to being with you again in a week. And may you continue this week to choose faith, hope, love, and justice for yourself and for all of your neighbors. May it be so.